0: Well, good morning, Trinity Church. It is a beautiful morning. It is a beautiful morning. Just keep telling yourself that. It's a beautiful morning. It feels a little bit humid outside. Did anybody feel the humidity this morning when they got up? Yeah, it feels like the south. That's why I left the south, because I don't like humidity. But it feels a little bit like Tennessee this morning, or South Carolina, something like that. Thankful for the morning that the Lord has given us. Thankful for you. uh, Thankful for God's people. Thankful for the visitors. I see several people that uh, I either do not know or just barely recognize. So if you are here visiting with us, I encourage you to meet me afterwards. I would uh, love to invite you to, to just introduce yourself. I'm going to be standing over here in this hallway right after the service this morning. Please stop by. I know that sometimes I'm talking to other people. It's okay to stop and wait. Until I get done talking to those people and then introduce yourself. Don't sneak by me Don't don't try to escape Please stop and introduce yourself And if you are a member here or if I already know you you can wait as well and talk to me I would love to talk to you afterwards and uh, visit with you Uh, We are in second peter chapter one this morning second peter chapter one as we have been uh, This summer we are going to stay in second peter chapter one this summer. We are memorizing this chapter together and uh, doing so, uh, as, as we did last summer, we memorized Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. This summer, we're memorizing Second Peter, all of chapter 1. And we're doing that because we as God's people need to be putting God's word into our mind and heart. We need what God's word says to be in our mind and heart. And we also, we also know that during the summer, people go camping, or people go on vacation, or uh, as our college, student, our college students, we have a lot of college students that come here from Moody Aviation, and they're on a retreat this weekend. And so we, we know that all summer long, people are going to be here and there. P- people might go to France, you know. It's good to have the uh, conditions back, and contrition from France. We know that, that people go during the summer, and so during the summer, we're going to be memorizing this together so that we're all on the same page. If you can't be here physically, at least you can stay with us in the text. Hopefully you are memorizing and giving some diligence to that uh, this summer as getting as far as you can and memorizing Second Peter chapter 1 and it has been our custom for the last several weeks. We're going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to read all of chapter 1. And then we will focus today on verses 3 through 7, verses 3 through 7 this morning. But we're going to read all of chapter one, Second Peter chapter 1. Follow along with me as I read. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Maybe you've wondered this summer why I chose this passage to memorize. Why did I choose this passage of all passages? I think 2 Peter I think Second Peter is one of the most undervalued, underestimated passages of Scripture. I, I believe that Second Peter is, is essential. Now, sometimes, sometimes I'm guilty of this. I can talk about everything as if it's the most important thing in the entire world. I'm guilty of that. And sometimes, because of that, those things which are truly, truly essential, kind of lose their definition. Because if everything is the most important thing in the world, then nothing is the most important thing in the world. Here in 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm telling you, as a believer in Christ, you cannot live without the truth of Second Peter chapter 1. It is essential. It, it is non-negotiable. You, you want to know what the Christian life is about? I think Peter gives us a wonderful summary here in Second Peter chapter 1. You need to understand this it is it is not just something i want you to memorize because that's what good christians do no no i want you i want you to put this in your mind and heart because you have to have this you have to have this romans 8 you know romans 8 romans 8:28 8, and 29 can you quote romans 8:28 and 29 i'm sure you can we know, for we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. We know, this is what it's saying. We know that for God's people, all things, all things work together for good. For God's people, those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. Well, how do we know that? For those whom he foreknew, this is what 29 says, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Those whom he foreknew, those whom he's saving, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he, his son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. You hear what that's saying? Those whom God is saving, those, those whom God is saving, his people, those who are called according to his purpose, we know that everything works to the good for these people. Why? Because those whom he foreknew, those who he's saving, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Why? So that his son might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's making a people for his son. That will look like his son. And we know that that's where he's taking us. It doesn't matter what's going on in our life. We know where we're heading. We know where we're going. We know what he's doing. And those whom he predestined, the verse goes on to say, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified... He also glorified. Romans 8, 28, 29, very important verses for us. This gives us the the sum of salvation. This is what God is doing. He's told us very clearly what He's doing. He's making a people for His Son who will look like His Son. And those whom He's chosen, those whom He's saving, He's justified them and He's glorified them. Justification Justification is that declaration by God that a sinner is righteous. Th- this is our salvation, our justification. Glorification is the end of our salvation. Glorification is that entrance into his presence and glory. So those whom he's called he has justified he has declared righteous people who do not deserve to be declared righteous He has declared us righteous in the righteousness of Jesus And he has glorified us. He has determined our end It's to be the presence and glory of jesus himself We will become like him because we will see him as he is So this is the sum of our salvation justification and glorification But what happens between justification and glorification? What happens between that declaration of righteousness and that complete conformity to the image of Christ and his glory and excellence? What happens between those two points? It is a truth we call sanctification. Sanctification is the bridge between justification and glorification. And sanctification is what Second Peter 1 is all about. Those whom he's justified, he will glorify, and he will accomplish that through this process called sanctification. Sanctification is this process whereby God makes his people, those whom he's declared righteous, he makes these people holy. He makes us godly. He transforms our lives. And that's what Second Peter is talking about. Now, for the last two weeks, we've heard from John Dunn. John did a great job, didn't he? Wasn't that encouraging to hear from John? Looking forward to how the Lord continues to grow him. And the last week we heard from Dan Ferguson, Dan Ferguson, people were getting on to me for giving him a hard time about his age. I wasn't giving him a hard time about his age. I was just pointing out, you know, I mean, come on. We heard from Dan, really encouraging, so, so refreshing to hear from Dan last week. The message this morning, okay, our first two points this morning are really just summaries of what we've heard the last two weeks, okay? And then the third point is going to be this pattern or this shape of godliness. The God who is saving us is making us into the image of Christ. And he's given us here in Second Peter a shape or a pattern of for that growth in Christ's likeness. We want to look at that for our third point today. Really this, this whole section. Verses 3 through 11 could be divided up into to three points. Okay. He gives us the power. He, he points us to the power for godliness then he gives us the pattern of godliness which is what we're going to talk briefly about today and then he gives us the promise the promise of godliness which mate is going to be preaching for us next week mate is going to be talking about that promise the the product the promise of godliness what it bears in our lives you don't want to miss that next week Let's look first, really, at what John Dunn covered in his message. Point number one, and he looked at verse three and four. Let let me just read verse three and four for us again. Look at it there, verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I'm going to summarize the point here of verse 3 and 4 this way. This is point number one. His divine power, that is, the the power of God in Christ, his divine power will make his people participants in his nature. Let me say that again. God's divine power, his divine power will make his people participants in his nature, his divine nature. God, by his power, will make his people like himself. God's people must look like God. That, that's what he has determined. That is what he has called us to. Now we call this, this when it talks about putting on the divine nature, we, we become participants in the divine nature. Sometimes we use shorthand, we, we call that Christ-likeness. Becoming like Christ. Romans 8, 28, 29 again. Th- those whom he foreknew, he de- predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is where he's taking us. And how is he doing that? He's doing that by his divine power. His divine power will make his people participants in his nature. A couple of points underneath this, just to remind us. I, I want you to hear this. His calling, use that word a couple times, his calling, his salvation of his people is effective. His calling is effective. In other, in other words, those whom he is saving, he will do this work. I, I think sometimes in, in Christianity we, we wrongly think that there are a couple different categories of Christians. There are those Christians who are are really kind of super Christians. They kind of take the Bible seriously. They kind of take prayer seriously. They kind of take church seriously. They kind of take those spiritual things seriously. They're super Christians. And then there's kind of like the middling Christians who, I mean... I know there's some super Christians out there that take prayer and Bible and church and all that really seriously. But, you know, that's not really for me. I'm just kind of a normal guy. I'm just kind of, you know, going to enjoy my salvation and promise of heaven and then kind of just wait for him to come. Muddle my way through life. Not really take holiness and godliness seriously. No, the Bible actually teaches us that that. Christian quote-unquote is not a Christian because God's salvation is effective and 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 you have a couple responses to that as you even hear me say that those whom he is saving you go yes I want godliness that's the response of someone who God is saving you say you're right I want to be like Christ. I want to put on Christ's likeness I want to grow in holiness. That's your desire. Is that your desire this morning? To grow in godliness and holiness? You know what's so assuring? You know what's so wonderful? You say, yes, that's my desire. Who put that desire in you? God did. That's why you have that desire. The salvation, the calling of God, is effective. Life and godliness are inseparable. You see it there? It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life. As John said, that's referring to eternal life. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to to life, to true life, to eternal life. His power has given us all things that pertain to eternal life and godliness. Godliness. These two things aren't separated. I want you to hear this. Eternal life and godliness are a package deal. This is what his power has granted us. So, so, so there's not an opt-in to, I want to opt-in on the eternal life, but I don't really want to opt-in on the godliness. No, that, that doesn't work. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's no category for those who are just going to partake in eternal life who have that power, but not the godliness power. Now, now this is important. And I'm going, to, I'm going to hit on this again in a minute, but I've got to say this. There are some people who think, they truly think that God has given some people more ability to godliness than, the, than God's given them. Now, some, some people have that ability to pursue godliness, but that's not really my thing. That's, God really hasn't given that to me. No, as I said in the very first week, this is what it says here in verse 1. Look up at verse 1, right? Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, who is he writing to? He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Every single believer has been given the same power. There are no second-class citizens. There aren't the haves and the have-nots in the Christian life. Every believer has been given his divine power, that divine power that pertains to all we need for life and godliness. He's given us everything. Well, how do we access this power? John talked about this as well. How do we access this power? How do we get this power? How do we plug into that power? He tells us his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. We access the power he has given us through the knowledge of Him. Through the knowledge of His glory and excellence. This glory and excellence that He is taking us to. This is that glory and excellence that He is, he is transforming us by. His glory and excellence which have borne themselves out in His great... His precious and very great promises. Now John mentioned, and I think Dan mentioned last week as well, this this very great promise. This is a, a this is pointing to the promise of his second coming, the, the coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus is the culmination of all of his promises. You can't separate the promises and divide the promises up. The second coming is the culmination. It it contains all of the promises that he has made us. And I've said this many times. You've got to hear this. God has not made you any promises apart from Jesus Christ. God hasn't made you any promises apart from Jesus Christ. And jesus christ is coming again and as he comes again he will fulfill all of his promises that he has made to us his coming is the completion and the fulfillment of all of the promises and so how do we access this divine power by looking to his glory and excellence, by looking to his precious and very great promises. That's how we access that power. Brief excursus, really important, but it's got to be brief because I don't want to take forever. You know, Dan preached in like 35 minutes last week. Did you, did you, did you see that? That's amazing. Very brief. Brief excursus, okay? I, I think some of us are confused about why we do the things that we do, our behaviors. Do you know why we do the things that we do in our behavior? We do the things that we do because we want the things that we want. And we want the things that we want. Because we believe the things that we believe. Somebody say it this way. We do what we do because we love what we love and we love what we love because our mind is set on the things that our mind is set on. So... Set your mind, as Dan said last week, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on his glory and excellence. Set your mind on his precious and very great promises. And guess what? That will begin to shape your affections and what you love. And as it shapes your affections and what you love, it will change what you do. It will change how you live. It will change how you behave. That's it. And so sometimes we we, we, we don't understand that. And we just tell people, well, you just need to stop doing that. You need to change what you're doing. Well, you can't change what you're doing until you change what you love. And you can't change what you love until you change what you think. Until you change what your mind is set on. Your mind is set on all the wrong things. You believe all the wrong things. And that is what shapes your affections. And then that's why you behave the way you do. We access his power through setting our mind to the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that what? Through them through those precious and very great promises so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped their corruptions in the world because of sinful desire. This is what he's done. The power is ours. Illustrations are helpful. Illustrations are helpful. This illustration, all analogies and all illustrations break down, right? You get that. None of them are perfect. But I want want to give you the illustration of a great and mighty river. A great and mighty river. The headwaters of this great and mighty river, the spring, the mighty spring that, that gives life to this river is the power of God. God, His power springs up and gives this river, this mighty, powerful, great river. And this river carves its way through the barren wastelands and the rocks and all the swamps and all the dense jungles. It carves its way through all the way to the ocean. All the way to its final destination. The power of God creates this river that goes all the way to the ocean and nothing will stop it. And the banks of this river, the banks of this river are the glory and excellence and the precious and very great promises. This, this is what keeps the river in its banks. And here we are in this mighty river. God has given us everything we need to make it all the way to that ocean, all the way to His glory and excellence, all the way to His presence, all the way to that place where He has predestined us to end up. All the way we can make it. How? Through the knowledge of Him, His glory and excellence. And through his precious and very great promises. This is how we have access to that power. And we will make it all the way to the ocean. By staying within the banks of that river. Now, this leads to number two. So number one, his divine power will make his people participants in his nature. That's what his power will do. Number two, because of this, this is what verse five says, for this very reason, make every effort, right? This is what Dan talked about last week. Because of this, because of the effectiveness, because God's calling is effective, because he will do this, because his power has been granted to us, because his power, his divine power will make his his people into his divine nature. Make them participants in his divine nature. Because of this, we as his people must give every effort to reach that appointed end. We must give every effort to reach that goal. We've got to swim with all our might. Now now this is something I think a lot of us don't understand. Is this work salvation? Are you telling me I have to work for my salvation? No, by no means. Not at all. I think though that there's a misunderstanding between justification and sanctification. Justification, as I said earlier, is the declaration of God God has declared a sinner to be righteous. This is justification. How can he do that? By covering us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. There is nothing, there is not one thing that you or I can do to contribute to our justification. Nothing. We cannot be justified by our own word. I mean, even think of that. Do you think there's anything you could do? Do you, do you honestly think there's anything you could do in your entire life to make you right with God? Do you think there's anything that you can do in your life to make you acceptable to a holy and righteous God? Do you think there's anything you could do? Can you cover all your sin? Can you make up for any of your sin before the sight of God? No. If we are to stand right before God, there is nothing we can do to accomplish that. Nothing. God has accomplished our justification by offering his son, Jesus, put on flesh. And then he put on our sin and its judgment. And he was sacrificed. He experienced the wrath of God for our sin. Second Corinthians 5 tells us, God has made him Jesus. The one who knew no sin, he has made him sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He has put on our sin, and he has given us his Righteousness. And in his righteousness, we now can stand before God completely acceptable. We have the right standing before God because of what he's done. That's justification. Justification, big word. Big word. Justification is monergistic. That's a big word, right? Mono, right? One. Work. Work. It is God's work alone. Justification is God's work alone. Okay? So so get what I'm saying. Don't think I'm talking about work salvation at all. Justification is God's work alone. Now, when we talk about sanctification, sanctification is much more synergistic. It is God's work in us But it requires us to work. It requires effort. This is the difference between justification and sanctification. Now there are two dangers with this. Sanctification requires work. It requires effort. It requires diligence. two dangers. The first danger is moralism. Moralism. Moralism is this idea that I can do this work in my own effort. I can do this work. I, I love lists. Do you like lists? The moral, moralist loves lists. Laura Rima, she loves lists. Just waking you up, Laura, back there. <laughs> No, the moralist loves lists. Just tell me what to do. Give me the formula. Give me, give me the steps. I can do those things. The moralist loves lists. Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin, he had a list. You ever read his list of virtues? He had 13 virtues. I almost thought about reading those, and I'm like, why would I spend time reading Ben Franklin's virtues? But they're pretty good, actually. You read through them, and you go, you know, we would all be a lot better off if we abided by Ben Franklin's virtues. We like lists, but the moralist thinks they can, they can keep the list in their own work, and their own effort. They depend upon themselves. What is, what is a moralist? What does it provide or what does it produce in somebody's life? The moralist is proud. Look at all I've accomplished. Look at all I've done. And they're very judgmental looking at other people who haven't quite arrived or gone as far as they have and looking at all the sad people who don't have the willpower and the work, ef- you know, work ethic that I have, the moralist. They're proud and they're judgmental. But then there's also, that's one danger. We're not talking about moralism here. There's another danger of quietism. Moralism and quietism. You know what quietism is? Quietism is, is... This is a strain of actually really... You know, it's, it's really good in some parts. This reliance upon God. I'm just going to be still and let God. There, there's some truth there, right? But a quiet, quietistic or, or somebody who's, who's practicing quietism, they stop any work and they say, and I think Dan said this last week, I'm going to let go and just let God do this work. Quietism. Quietism is this idea that I'm just going to trust in God and God will do the work and I can just let go and, and cease my effort and God will bring it about. No, that's not the way sanctification works. We want to stay away from moralism and quietism. Here's here's the biblical balance. Because of grace, so this this is to the moralist. Because of grace, again, because of the divine power we've been given, because of the resource He's given us in His grace. Always His grace, grounded in His grace. Because of the gospel, because of the truth of the gospel, because of what He's accomplished in Christ, grounded in that, because of His grace, we must work towards godliness. We must work, never leaving the grounding of the gospel. But to the quietest, I would say, you must put forth effort. This is how he's ordained it. This is how he's designed it. Because of his grace, always because of his grace, grounded in his grace, we must work towards godliness. Now, I, I have another illustration here. Again, all the illustrations break down, but listen to this. This is, Dar- this is Martin Lloyd-Jones' illustration, actually part of it. Think of a farmer. Think of a farmer. Let, let's say we take, we take a man and we give him a farm. We give him land. We give him a tractor. We give him some seed. We give him some livestock. We give him a house and a barn. We give him all the things he needs to be a farmer we give him all the implements needed to be a farmer what does he have to do can he just sit on that farm and say well look at all I've been given what gracious gifts I've been given I really hope that this works out that's silly isn't it what does he have to do he's got to go to work He's got he's to till the ground. He's got to plant the seed. He's got to milk the cows. He's got to feed the pigs and the chickens. He's got to clean out the barns and the stalls. He's, he's got to do the work. And is it hard work? Have you ever met a lazy farmer? Not for very long. They won't be late, right? They won't be a farmer anymore, right? Farmer, I mean, I've met a lot of very stubborn farmers. I've met a lot of kind of ornery farmers, but I've never met a lazy farmer, they work hard. They got calluses on their hands, because if we don't work, it's not going to happen. Now, now, would that farmer many of them do, right? Should that farmer ever take full credit for all they've done? No, It's all been given to them. They've simply worked with what they've been given. And the produce, no farmer can guarantee the crop, can they? They can work hard, but what makes it grow? They don't make it grow. They have to depend upon God to make it grow. You've been given everything you need. All of it. God has not held back anything from you for life and godliness. Now you must go to work. You know what this means? You can't blame God for your lack of godliness. It's not his fault. He's given you everything. You can't blame him. You know what it also means? God is going to grow you because that's the purpose for which he saved you. Take comfort in his promises and where he's taking you. You may not see all the growth that you want to see. Oh, just depend upon God and stay working. Stay at it. He will bring you all the way. It's encouraging because it's not my work. It's his. Now, how do we work, right? We look at the promises. We remember what we've been given. We look to his promises. We look to his glory and excellence. We remember his precious and very great promises. And we work with those promises in our mind and in our heart. I, I, I want to stop real quick right here and just say a word to those who are proud. <laughs> I, want to, I want to give a word to all those who, who might be proud this morning. You're pretty satisfied with where you're at. You're pretty satisfied with what you've accomplished. You look at yourself and you're pretty, pretty uh, secure with your work and what you've produced. You're a little judgmental looking at other people. I just want to remind you of whose grace has saved you. Nothing you have can be nothing you have can be attributed to you. God has given you everything. And the work, the produce that he has produced, it's all to his glory. It's not because of you. He gets the glory. Who did the work? He did. You must remember that. This will give us compassion and mercy towards those who are still struggling along, as all of us, honestly, let's be honest, all of us are struggling, aren't we? As we grow, a word also to those who are discouraged, as I just said, to those who are discouraged with growth, He will do this work. He will do this work. Do you know how we know people are growing? Do you know what I'm looking for when I'm, I'm looking for people that are growing? I'm looking for, for two things. First of all, I'm looking for people who are clinging to his promises. People who are clinging to his promises. And then second of all, people who are clinging to his promises while they are stroking as hard as they can towards spiritual growth. Clinging to his promises and giving every effort to grow. Sometimes we, we're looking for the wrong things. And then I, I want to give a word to the lazy, the spiritually lazy. Do you think there are spiritually lazy here? All of us, all of us, right? All of us can fall into spiritual laziness. I want to give a word to the lazy. This, this passage is for you. He's wanting to encourage you. And he's also wanting, if, you, if you'll pardon my expression, he's wanting get, to give you a kick in the seat of the pants. He, he's wanting to provoke you. He's wanting to spur you on. To the lazy, I want you to know, here, here's what you need to do. Remember his promises. Remember what he's given you. And then get to work. Some people, and again, as I said, I'll, I'll mention this in a minute, and I'm, I'm going to mention it right here. Some people think that there are those in the church that have spiritual green thumbs. You ever, you ever, uh, you ever say somebody has, has a green thumb? You look at their garden, and you look at their landscaping, you look at their yard, and you go, well, that person just has a green thumb. Have you ever done that? Everything I get, I kill. You give me a plant, you give me tomatoes, you give me... I, I, I tried to do it, but then it just dies. Well, some people have it and some people don't. Now, this is going to blow your mind. That's actually not true. Did you know that? I know we've believed that, but that's actually not true. All of us, all of us, all of us were made to be, made to be gardeners. Did you know that? That's how we were designed. Adam and Eve. They were gardeners, weren't they? And that's how God has made us. We're made to be fruitful. Where Adam and Eve called the work in the garden, oh yeah, they worked. Sometimes we think that, that the curse brought hard work, that, that work before the curse was just kind of like light work, and then after the curse it became hard work. No, no, it was always hard work. But after the curse, that hard work was opposed Adam's job was to work, to work hard, to keep the garden. Sometimes we think that people have these green thumbs. No, no, no. What it takes to grow a crop, how much work does that take? When you see somebody who who plants things and they grow and they thrive, you know what? That person has knowledge of what it takes, they know what it takes. And they work really, really hard to weed. Do you like weeding? Do you like weeding? You like pruning? Do, do you like to nurture the plants, or do you think you could just plant them in the ground and you know, they'll, you know, at some point produce? No, no. Some plants need more water. Some need less. Some need more sunshine. Some need less. You know, we there's all these rules. There's all these things. A person who sees productivity in their garden, they know what they're doing through a lot. A lot of experience and they work really hard and you don't see that because all you see is the fruit that you want no it takes a lot of work and that analogy again so so apt that's the christian life see some of you look look around and you say you say well that person that just had that person just has a spiritual green thumb god just didn't give me that ability if you see a godly person in this church, and there are some, and there are many who are striving towards godliness, right? If you look around and you say, that, that person's heading towards godliness, that's a godly person. Do, do you know what that means? You look around. You say, I, I want to be like so-and-so. I wish I had that in my life. It takes an immense amount of work. You will not see a godly person who is not dedicating themselves and committing themselves to the promises of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and working with all their might, prayer and reading scripture and meditating on scripture and fellowshipping with the saints and repenting often and working and working and working. They, they didn't get to where they are by, by floating down the river, as Dan used in illustration last week. And that's, that's to the spiritually lazy, I would just say, that's what you're not willing to put in, is that effort. Thirdly, we see the shape and pattern of our godliness. Number one, we see his divine power will make his people participants in his nature. Because of this number 2 we must give every effort to reach that appointed end and number 3 he's given us this pattern he's given us the shape of our godliness our growth in Christ likeness our growth in Christ likeness is anchored in these two virtues look at it there in verse number 5 For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now notice, the beginning of this spiritual growth, it's grounded in faith, and it culminates with love. Dan pointed that out last week. Begins in faith culminates in love faith and love are the anchors of christian growth these are the anchors of christlikeness a faith fueled by love have you ever seen faith without love this is not to be faith must be fueled by our love like oxygen to a fire A fire, our faith, needs the oxygen of love and obedience. That's what it needs. We also see a love here grounded on faith. Have you ever seen love not grounded on faith? It's not truly love, is it? Faith fueled by love and love grounded in faith likes oxygen to a fire, love grounded on faith like a mighty oak with deep roots. This is to be what our love looks like. A couple of references for us. Remember, Hebrews tells us without faith is impossible to please God. And then 1 Corinthians tells us if we have all faith and yet we don't have love, we have nothing. That's what Christ's likeness looks like. These are the measuring sticks, faith and love. And this faith and love, this faith and love, get this, this faith and love then creates, another analogy for you, this faith and love creates a grand chorus of Christian qualities. This faith and love creates a chorus of a balanced beautiful chorus of christian qualities what balance and beauty to these qualities it's not just a list to get done not a list to check off i'll, I'll really focus on this one and then i'll move on to the next one no it's it's a chorus all to be taken together in perfect harmony But what a gift this is. What a gift that he's actually told us what we need to be aiming at. Look at these qualities real quick. Virtue, as we saw last week. Moral excellence. Really, it implies a moral energy. A moral energy for what is good. A tenacity for good things. For goodness, knowledge, growing in our understanding of God's purpose and will, growing in our understanding of who he is and what he's doing. Self-control, growing in our restraint of passions, our passions that so often control us. Self-control is a growing in our restraint of these passions. Steadfastness. Steadfastness is growing in our ability to endure hardness. How are you at enduring hardness? How are you at enduring difficulty? Growing in our ability to endure hardness, whether that's people or situations. Godliness. Growing in our devotion. Here the word godliness, is the same word, but here it implies a piety, a devotion. Growing in our devotion and the appetites for the things of God brotherly affection what does that mean simply it means growing in our love for other Christians for the brethren for the brothers and sisters in Christ do, do, you, do you love each other are you growing in your affection for each other do you see what this implies I mean, we, could, we could talk about this do you see what this implies it implies that you're actually with each other it implies if you're going to grow in brotherly affection, you actually have to be with the saints. Brotherly affection, and then it finishes with love. And we have 1 Corinthians 13, which gives us a wonderful definition of what true love is. And love, I think, summarizes all of these qualities. Faith is the ground, love is the summary. Here we have Christ likeness. These, these qualities are what we are striving after. These qualities are what we need to be endeavoring to grow in. As we look to his promises, as we look to his glory and excellence, as we look to his promises and where he's taking us, we need to use these as our barometer. We need to use these as our guideposts. We need to use these qualities of faith and love and this wonderful chorus, this harmonious chorus of all these Christian qualities as our guideposts of growth. So I, I need to sit down and ask myself am I growing in steadfastness am I growing in godliness in my appetite for the things of god am I growing in my brotherly affection my love for other saints am I growing in my love real quick I'm going to encourage you in these these qualities you need to get specific Growth christian growth does not happen in nebulous land It doesn't happen in fuzzyville That's that's I think what trips us up a lot of the times You say well, I need I really need to grow in my patience. How many times have you said that right? I really need to grow in my patience. No, I want you to get specific. How do you need to grow in your patience? How have you failed? Who have you sinned against? How do you need to grow? Get specific. Give a definition. This requires honesty. Get honest. Get honest about where you're at with each one of these qualities. I'm, I'm, again, going to encourage you. Don't repent of generalities. I'm just not a very loving person. That's too general. What do you mean you're not a loving person? Who have you not loved? How have you not loved them? Let's get specific about this. Let's get honest about this. Because as long as you're nebulous, as long as you're fuzzy about it, you're never going to actually grow. You're going to come back to accountability group next week and you're going to have the same, very same things to, to, to talk about. I'm just not been loving this week. What do you mean by that? Be specific. Repent of specific things. encourage one another in these qualities as you're sitting with other believers. And this is a big part of why I've chosen this passage, because I do think all of us, we want to talk about spiritual growth, but we really don't know what we're aiming at. We don't know what we're aiming at. And then people talk about these big spiritual truths. You go, but what does that look like? It looks like growing in virtue. It looks like growing in In self control and knowledge. It it looks like growing in steadfastness. It looks like growing in godliness. It it looks like growing in brotherly affection and love. That's what it looks like. Get specific. Repent of specific things. And endeavor to put on these qualities and grow in these qualities. You say, well, how do I know I'm growing? Again, look at the promises of God, look at where He's taking you, and then stroke as hard as you can towards these aims that he's given you. And encourage one another in these things. Use this list, use these qualities in your small group. When someone is lazy, use the Bible, use the Word of God to give them that, that motivation. When someone is discouraged, when someone's proud, use these qualities. And then I would say pray, pray around these qualities. People always ask me, how can I pray for you? I love that question, by the way. I love when you ask how you can pray for me. I want you to pray for me. But, but it's, it's, sometimes I'm, it's like you're asking me for something. You're asking me to share some dirt or something. I don't know what you're asking me to share. How can I pray for you? I bet you're really tired. How can I pray for you? You know what you can pray for me? That I would grow in my virtue. That I would grow in my self-control. That I would grow in my knowledge. That I would grow in my steadfastness. Pray those things for me. What, but I want to know. I want to know. Specifically. Well, I can tell you specifically how I need to grow in self-control. You can pray for me in that. You see, this is what we need to be praying for one another. Let's don't pray in generalities. Let's don't aim at generalities. Let's don't repent of generalities. Let's get specific. And then encourage one another in this growth. Again, as we're looking to the promises of God and his glory and excellence where he's taking us on this, on this grand and mighty river. Let's encourage one another as we stroke hard to reach the end together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its sufficiency. Thank you for its specificity. Thank you that you have not left us in the dark as far as what Christian growth looks like. And I pray that we would forsake generalities that we would get specific even how we need to grow that we would that we would be bold we'd be honest we'd be diligent Lord we admit and confess this is your work this is not us doing this work but you have called us to put forth effort because you are making us into the image of your son and the salvation is effective. The salvation will occur. It's not optional. You've given us all that we need for life and godliness. I pray that you would be honored and glorified with our lives as we seek after you. And that you would, by your divine power, strengthen us as we look at your glory and excellence, as we look at your promises. You would strengthen us as we run, as we swim, to make it all the way to our glorification. We pray all of this for your sake and your name. Amen.